0: Hey everybody it's autumn coming at you from the editing room with just a quick little content warning um of sorts uh, in this episode from about the 29 minute mark to the 50 minute mark um we discuss um isabel fall and helicopter story and the transphobic harassment campaign that various authors in the speculative fiction community like sort of mounted against her in light of helicopter story um and uh we we get into a lot of you know details and our, our 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 takes on the matter the short version is that like the the harassment that she received is unacceptable and um the like authors and fans who um were responsible for that should uh you know be ashamed and should have any sort of meaningful apology and so far they have not done this and um but if you don't want to hear all the details of this sort of thing like you can you know jump ahead to about the 50 minute mark and uh you can you can miss that if you know you think it's going to be um you know triggering in any sort of way i just wanted to make clear how we felt about that um but yeah if that is an issue for you jump ahead and you can hear all about uh doing king shit uh as he always loves to do uh thank you so much uh here's the episode
1: Exploration of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere. I'm Nora. I'm joined by Mark.
2: Hi, I'm Mark.
1: And Autumn. I'm Autumn. We're in Texas. We're in Texas We're once again. In Texas.
2: I'm not in Texas. That's true.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately.
2: Uh, mm, I'm not For saying us. Texas is okay. Yeah, it would be cool if I was in Texas <laughs> and hanging out with you right now. But I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy being in Wisconsin.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wisconsin seems nice. They got cheese there. I think.
2: They I, do. I've they heard do. that.
0: I've heard cheese and beer.
2: They, I, they have cheese and they have beer, and I like both of those things. Ben does not like cheese, which I think is kind of a, like, reaction to growing up in Wisconsin.
1: Mm. We, we, to be <laughs> fair, we do have cheese and beer here in Texas.
0: We do also have that in Texas, yes.
1: You have had quite a bit of cheese.
0: Not as much as you, I feel like. There there has been queso at the last two meals we went to, and I have not had any, <laughs> because I'm like, I'm good. <clears throat> um. So
2: like... The, like, really uh, classic, like, I don't know, the thing you get if you're a tourist in Wisconsin and you want to try Wisconsin cheese is uh, fried cheese curds.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: Those are those are good as hell.
1: <laughs> there used to be a place you could get that here, but I think they all shut down. There's, a, like, a chain. Mm. You know who's not in uh, Texas? Who? Who? Any of the many characters we're going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> I... And um, I have a backlog, because last time, Oh yeah. because last time I was on, right. I was going to talk about Roadside Picnic, and then I didn't because I went to the bookstore instead, mm-hmm. and oh, then last got... week, I was going to talk about Roadside Picnic and Nine Princes in Amber, but instead I got sick.
2: <laughs> yeah, you do have a backlog.
1: I don't want to spend too much time on it, because we've got lots to talk about today, but Roadside Picnic owns. is great. It's a great book. Hmm. Um,
0: I'm going to read it pretty soon. I feel like yeah, you sold it. it on me pretty well.
1: <clears throat> also, the 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 audiobook uh, is like a like almost like a Columbo type voice. What
0: is what is Roadside Picnic for listeners who might not be familiar with
1: it? It's a book. Mm-hmm. You might be more familiar with the movie that uh, was inspired by it called Stalker, or the video game that was inspired by that called Stalker, but with more <laughs> periods in it. Um. It's a book about the effects caused by one time aliens showed up very briefly and left several zones across the world that are just really weird and messed up and um, you can go into the zone and find treasures and artifacts that you can sell Um, but it's very very dangerous and you kind of have to map out safe routes between anomalies that are really weird and it's a thing where, like, oh, we started finding infinite batteries in the zone, and now every car on the planet just runs on infinite batteries from space. Huh. And it's just about the people who go into it and the people who profit off of the people who go into it. Hmm. Um, and it's it's really cool.
0: It's like a Soviet novel from, like, the
1: <clears throat> 70s, right? Uh it would have been 71, but I think it took se- it took several years to get through censors mm-hmm. to mm. to be actually published and i could not find um the censored version i think that you i don't know that you can find like the original like printing of it mm. especially not translated yeah um <clears throat> but it also came with a really funny afterward where one of the authors because the authors are two brothers just complaining endlessly about all the censors and all the Stuff they went through to actually publish the book. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was like, no, this isn't, like, ideologically compromised in some way. They just don't want us to talk about, like, people getting in fights or cussing or, like, being pessimistic about the future. Huh. It yeah. was just, like, weird aesthetic choices and stuff like that.
0: And not, like, you're not being good comrades with this book. Right. It wasn't that. Well,
2: mm-hmm. I mean, I would... I would assume that the perspective of the censors was that by writing that kind of material, they were not being good comrades. It's just that yeah. we, yeah. as as modern mm-hmm. non Soviet communists, think that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, like, and I, I also read Nine Princes in Amber, which is both of these books are pretty short. Mm-hmm. Um, Amber is like a five and a half hour audiobook. I think Roadside Picnic was like seven or eight. Um, just you know, cleansing my palate so I can go back to reading Timothy Zahn here in the next week. <laughs> oh, God, um, uh, Amber's really cool. It I uh, uh, hmm? I
2: liked Amber a lot when I read it as like a teen. Uh.
1: yeah, it's just a guy wakes up in a hospital with no memory and has to sort of figure out what his deal is and what his deal is is rapidly revealed to be uh he's kind of like a magical demigod prince and is immediately sucked back into uh an elaborate and labyrinthine uh, familial tensions as a, a throne is waiting to be claimed in the city of amber which is in another dimension yeah <laughs> and there's nine more books, oh damn, okay, <laughs> they're very small books. there seem to be about two hundred pages, but there's, okay, okay. There's nine more okay books.
2: also, I think some of them are like I don't remember exactly the details, but it's something like um Zelazny wrote a bunch of amber books, and then he stopped for a while and then he went back and wrote more amber books about different main characters
1: yeah there's there's two sets of five that were published in groups and then i think there are some spin-offs that were published posthumously by his family members yeah as that that's well. about right um as is the case for so many 20th century authors mm-hmm. i feel like um but yeah that that's just really cool and the thing that stood out to me the most is that like um he zelazny is the author's name he just like is very good at writing tension between characters that is very believable and even though this guy doesn't have his memories at the beginning you can still like it still feels like the information that you're getting that is incomplete is still like believable and is still pointing toward something that is really present there um between the characters um, yeah. Even if even if you, the reader, don't know all of the details yet, but it's neat. I'm reading more older books. So. Um, unfortunately, that brings us to another book that we. Uh,
0: do we Do you want me to go first, or do you want Mark to go first? Uh,
1: I was gonna Your say call. I was gonna segue to you because I also read this book.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this is. A, <laughs> did we well, warn
2: Mark about this?
0: I think so. I, we tweeted about it.
2: Yeah. Okay. okay, just go on. <laughs>
0: um so, <clears throat> yesterday or two days ago now, I guess, we were driving down to Dallas, about a twelve hour drive. Um before we left, you asked me is there any audiobooks we both want to read that we could right. listen to? <laughs> um and I was like, I I was just telling you like you know, I've been struggling. I like either I start I've been starting books and not finishing them or I'm just having a lot of trouble, like finding stuff that catches my eye. And I think it's t- entirely a me thing. I don't think it's like that books are bad in any way. I think it's just me being picky lately. Um, and you were like, oh, well, we could we could read a bad book.
1: <laughs> we could educate ourselves about in uh, uh, a very influential piece of art uh in circles that we are adjacent to so in, is, is a more charitable way that i would. so, maybe so we read the first six or seven chapters i believe
0: of um uh what's the, the, name name of, the, the name of the wind name uh, uh, of the wind uh the first of patrick rothfuss's king killer chronicles books i hate this book so much
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, basically it's, it's bad
0: so for people who are not familiar with these books uh they're a very popular contemporary fantasy series. It is supposed to be a trilogy.
1: Let me finish my sentence. I think the Wikipedia page should be in the past tense. Yes, I, so I don't think. Yeah,
0: there's let me be finish any... my sentence.
1: Okay. Um, the uh,
0: last, the first book, "Name of the Wind," was published in two thousand seven. The second book, um, "Wise Man's Fear," I believe, was published in twenty eleven. Wise Man's Fear. Uh
1: huh. Isn't it Old Man's Fear?
0: I think it's no, Wise, it's wise
2: man's, fear. man's
0: Fear. Was published in twenty eleven, and then rumor has it that uh he has not begun writing the third book <laughs> ten years later. <laughs> People who there's used a to spin
1: off. There was that one novella.
0: There's like a novella um. Oh, yeah. But, like, a person who used to work at his publisher and still works in publishing, like, was kind of venting on Facebook and said, like, I don't think he's written a single page since, like, 2016 or something like that, um, which would have been around the time that novella came out. It is, mm-hmm. um, and it is, a, the the series is about this man named Kvothe, mm-hmm. Kvothe, pronounced like Quoth almost, is a line in the book, um, who is sort of relaying his life's story to um, a guy named Chronicler, and basically what we read the first six chapters is a little bit of prologue stuff, and then, um... His Kvoth... childhood.
1: Some of his childhood.
0: Let me finish my... Oh, <laughs> you. <For laughs> you're good, you're good. Um, a little bit of prologue about, like, what the world is like, and then Chronicler shows up at... to Kavoth, who is kind of, like, changed his name and is laying low in, like, Noir is is the name of the town. Um,
1: the middle of Noir. The
0: middle of Noir. Um, and he like has lived this life of adventure and Chronicler wants to like, you know, write his life story. And we got through them like negotiating like you're because the uh, each of the book is like one day of Cavoth telling the story. And so Like, the first book is the first day, and it's going to take him three days to tell his life story. Um, And so, that's the... That's more or less... We did also get, like, one chapter of him telling about his childhood before we kind of gave up and just spent the rest of the ride, like, talking. We also... We listened to... We were supposed to listen to one chapter of Game of Thrones, but I wasn't really paying attention. We didn't get. We didn't even we finish the first chapter. We got through the, the prologue of Game
1: of Thrones, and we didn't finish the first chapter. But we were switched over to Game of Thrones as, as like a palate cleanser because uh, yeah, that book is better.
3: Yeah, it's, um, I
1: don't. I don't think that I love those books. I have a good appreciation for certain parts of them, but but anyway,
0: um, <clears throat> Name of the Wind is just a really wretched book.
1: Yeah, it's just
0: Kvothe is. And I, I sort of knew this by the reputation that they have, that these books have gained online in the ten years since the last novel. Um, I knew this reputation, but I also thought the reputation of these books is like, oh, the first one's okay; it's the second mm. one where it gets bad, and everything people have complained about that these are books filled with like, really, a lot, like a lot of like. Milady, fedora tipping um stuff and like a lot of like womanizing but it's cool and um also just like waxing poetic about the nature of stories and how like Cavoth is constantly looking down his uh looking down his nose at the at the peasants they don't know what it's like to live a real life because they don't tell stories as good as I do.
1: Well um, you see they've never they've never left more than five miles from where they were born. Yes,
0: those those morons, those imbeciles who don't travel the world and you know, live free. Um that is what I had understood about the reputation of this series. Uh and but what what I was led to believe from discourse was that that really gets bad in the second book. And I'm here to say that it is there in the first six chapters of the first book. <laughs> and it's, it's just bad. It's just bad. It's just really bad. We're going to finish it. We're going to finish it. <laughs> yeah. So. But it's bad. I don't, I, we're going to finish this one. I don't know that I'm going to read wise man's fear, but part of what I was telling you is like this pickiness I'm feeling about books. I kind of feel like maybe I just need to, finish this book and just like push through it and just remind myself that like
3: reading
1: you have taste and
0: reading is often like a reward in and of itself even when I'm reading a bad book I feel like Mm -hmm. I've, and so that's that that's probably the last unless something really noteworthy happens I'm probably not going to bring up the rest of the book because I imagine the rest of the book is going to be more of what I just said we'll see (laughs) but that's that's it
2: (laughs) I was really into The Wise Man's Fear when I read it in college. I remember obsessively texting the dude I was best friends with and had a huge stupid crush slash I now kind of realize like transition goals feelings towards (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. about that book as I was reading it. Um, It's a very embarrassing thing to look back on for me because I... I think that there's a thing going on with that book with both of those books where like the writing style is I'm not trying to say that it's good but it Mm -hmm. is more ornate and it is kind of reaching more for like literary fiction pretensions Mm -hmm. than a lot of other like big fantasy tomes. Yes. And I think it successfully tricked me and that shitty college best friend and a lot of other people into thinking that it was deep.
0: We were we were hanging out with some of Nora's friends last night and talking about it and one of them asked, like, what is the appeal? And I think I think it's two things. I think it's one that it's got a romance element so that like a lot of Women really are into it, but it's written by a man, so like men can read it and feel like it is respectable in a way that they cannot read a lot of like romance fantasy, um and feel like they're like a lot of men feel that like romantic fantasy books are like beneath them. And the other thing is that yeah, if you are a fantasy reader, the other things that are really popular, like the the two biggest series in the world, contemporary to. Uh, Name of the Wind are Game of Thrones and and the Brandon Sanderson stuff and you know Game of Thrones is very like the dark and gritty and the politicking and um, like Sanderson as we've talked about you know his like sort of like clear glass window writing style which I like Sanderson books but definitely like Name of the Wind has like metaphors on the first page like from the very beginning has like metaphors and similes and is sort of like writerly and so like if you are into that then maybe you're not getting that from two of the other like really big fantasy authors of the time and so you kind of have latched on to this as your thing you know
1: yeah like the most the most sentence craft I can think of is the way that Sanderson starts books. Mm-hmm. Because people point to like the first sentence of every book he writes as like the most yeah. clear example of like, you really like put that effort into a hook at the very beginning.
0: Yeah, Zeth wore white on the day he was to kill a king is like a good first <laughs>
1: sentence. And Zeth, then... son, son, Valeno, yeah, truthless sorry. of Shinovar, yes. wore white on the day he was to kill a king.
0: Thank you. Sorry. I... I... <laughs> Forgive me.
1: Put some disrespect on his name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Brandon is really good at that, like, you know, those, those hooky sort of things, but isn't, you know... I, and I was rolling my eyes at a lot of this, but um, the way that Name of the Wind starts with, there was a bar, and there was a silence, and it was a three-part silence, and he kind of describes the way in which the bar is silent... I thought it was a bad metaphor, but it is definitely, like, more than anything that, like, Brandon is giving you. And probably more than a lot yeah. of stuff that George R.R. Martin is giving because,
1: you. Because, like... Like, YA is really big. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a big portion of, like... The, the books that are there. Yeah. And, like, I don't really know what fantasy books are being marketed toward adults. Yes, Um, YA has
0: eaten up like so much of like the audience for books in general of all genres
1: and so if you're not looking at YA in the last decade I guess I think Sanderson is not YA yes because he specifically made a YA book that was very different yes um or at least that's what he says Mm -hmm. and then like I guess you've got like Sanderson's Protege Brent Weeks. Yeah, um, but I I couldn't tell you who is writing fantasy
0: not in the YA space. Yeah,
1: outside of YA, from like in an adult oriented series. Like, there's a couple things that, that drip through. Well, right, we hear about Malazan, I, and we hear so, about um, the the other Bard one, the other Bard one, Lakumora. Yes, I think that's yes. a Bard one. That is a Thief one. A Thief was oh, a rogue one. A thief guy, <laughs> rogue one. <laughs> rogue one. <laughs> um
0: there there is and if we're okay Oops. with seconding into our the next thing we wanted to talk about. Yeah. There is another like really big adult fantasy series right now that like people are really loving, I think. Uh and it is written by NK Jemisin, who
2: Uh, We wanted to
0: talk about a little bit.
2: (laughs) So i I wanted to like briefly mention a different book that I've been reading. Um, Yeah, please do. Please do. uh, Which is just that. uh, So uh, continuing on through this thing where uh, Ben and I are reading books to each other from his prelims list, uh, we've started reading *Valis* by Philip K. Dick, uh, which is so. So this book is at least so far. We've not gotten to any point where it starts to be science fiction so far, it is a uh mostly autobiographical account of philip k. dick's uh mental breakdown and religious experience hmm. um, yeah, and so it's all about like what it's like to be living in like Northern California in in the late sixties and early seventies, and everyone is doing a lot of drugs. And everyone is kind of mentally falling apart. Um, and uh, I don't know. Do you, either of you know much about Philip K. Dick's religious experience?
0: So, I knew about his mental breakdown. I did not know much about his religious experience.
2: Yeah. So at one point in his life, Philip K. Dick, uh, I'm just going to describe this as he experienced it. I'm not going to try to like contextualize this as like, oh, here's what I think was materially happening. Because I think that's kind of disrespectful. Uh <clears throat> a a pink god shot a pink laser into philip k dick's head and filled him with information and mm-hmm. that completely changed the rest of his life
3: mm-hmm.
2: um and uh in in the book in valis it is narrated by like an unnamed narrator uh talking about a friend of his named horse lover fat um Which is like a translation of Philip Dick. Uh,
3: Hmm, That's
2: what those names mean. And and the narrator is kind of sarcastically and skeptically describing Horse Lover Fat's religious experience and mental breakdown. And like, it's very clear that the narrator and Horse Lover Fat are somehow kind of the same person. The narrator keeps saying things like, oh, I remember when I, uh, I mean Horse Lover, um... But the narrator is like very skeptical skeptical about all of this. Basically, seems to think that horse lovers like religious mania uh, is very annoying. Um, although he does uh, sort of scrupulously say, "Well, it would be easy to say that he experienced this because of all the drugs," but I don't actually think that makes sense. Um, so it is some sort of thing where you have the same person being split up into multiple characters. Um, possibly as a result of drugs and or mental illness and or religious experience. Um, Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, It is very, uh, in terms of the way that it talks about mental illness, I think it is very honest to Dick's experience, which means it is in some ways very offensive. uh, (laughs) Because it is, first of all, talking about this in like a 70s, context, right? So the way that people thought Mm -hmm. about mental illness in the 70s is not something not the way we think about it anymore. right? Um, And then also like he is trying to communicate a situation in which just lots of people are having breakdowns being hospitalized using a lot of drugs possibly to cope with the things that are giving them breakdowns or possibly the drugs are giving them breakdowns and someone's suicide is like really central to the beginning of the novel um, in a way that he kind of like, the way that it talks about someone else's suicide and the effect that it has on horse lover is, like, again, like I said, I think very honest, but also kind of fucked up because mm-hmm. it is, like, this woman that he clearly was kind of horny for, and so the way he relates to her suicide is kind of gross, as mm-hmm. well as clearly very, like, personal. Um, So I'm not sure I would say I recommend it, but it is fascinating, and I'm sounds- really curious to is see it- where it goes.
0: I, I feel... I read um, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" when I was eighteen, I think, and is like one of those books that like changed my life, or at least changed my taste in novels in a huge way. And is also like I don't know if I can recommend this because it's a it's a weird book and it's uncomfortable and like purposefully uncomfortable, I think, in a lot of places. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah i think I think philip k. dick's work is really interesting. I haven't really read a lot of it before, so i'm I'm excited to be reading Vallis. I think Vallis might be kind of a weird way to, weird place to start because uh i mean because it is so much his like breakdown novel and because mm-hmm. I think the ways in which it's science fiction are i mean like i said I haven't gotten to the science fiction stuff so far it's just this sort of semi autobiographical narrative um and so uh Like, he has other works that I think are much more straightforwardly, like, a novel that it seems like you Mm -hmm. would read for entertainment purposes. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I Um, I think, I think Do Androids Dream is that, despite my, like, you know, hesitancies about recommending it. It It's like, well, I could just, if you wanted to read the book that Blade Runner is based off, I could give you that and be like, this is just a novel and it's fun,
1: you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so yeah that's that's what i have to say about Vallis. um
1: i almost made a joke about the will smith movie but that wasn't Dick. that's uh, that's that wasn't, asimov asimov that's yeah, a yeah. Guy. Oh, god
2: <laughs> would love to at some point talk about my feelings about asimov on this podcast but i'm not gonna read any fucking asimov so uh <laughs> <laughs>
0: i have never read any asimov and i it's like one of those things where I'm like i'll get to it eventually you know yeah <laughs>
2: i mean on the one hand you know It's interesting. It's highly influential to science fiction. I think at least some of it is good. On the other hand, I, like, feel personally betrayed because I really loved Asimov when I was a child. Like, I was deeply invested. And then I found out when I was, like, 14 that he groped every woman he ever met, basically.
0: This is... I read Fahrenheit 451 when I was, like, 13, I think. Um, And it was, like, a profoundly impactful book. And then finding out some years later that, like, Ray Bradbury was like a turbo racist. Like <laughs> yeah. like calling people the n-word sort of racist like mm. to their face. Like it's it's heartbreaking, you know. Yeah.
3: Um there and,
2: was
0: and, something and that
2: f- Sorry, go on.
0: The the thing about um if you read stuff that Bradbury was like saying late in life about like he has a different reading on Fahrenheit 451 that like plays into his racist worldview and it just like makes it impossible to enjoy any of his books when you know what he thinks about them in some ways.
3: Yeah.
1: I never had this. I was just really into Star Wars as a kid. And that's just (laughs) totally... Smooth sailing, no racism there.
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah, the, the thing that felt like a real personal betrayal about the Asimov stuff is that, like, there is a really strong sense, I think, of his personality that comes through in a lot of his writing, especially some of his stuff that I was... Into which is like not actually his science fiction stuff, but like um, he has like a sort of series of like comic mysteries that are about a bunch of a bunch of dudes in like a dining club who solve mysteries, um, and. I really thought that was cool, and I had this idea that it would have been fun to meet him. Like, isn't it sad that he died the year I was born? Like, he seemed like this sort of fatherly figure to me. And Mm -hmm. then I grew up, and I was like, oh, if I had ever met him, he would have sexually assaulted me. Right. And there was just something so personal and upsetting about that. Not to say that learning that Bradbury is racist is not personally upsetting. It's just like... Yeah. Oh, God.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So... So... The other to change the, the news, the news. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so the other thing that I read uh, between the last time we recorded um, is a short story uh, titled "Helicopter Story" uh, by Isabel Fall, um, which was formerly titled "I Sexually Identify as an Attack Helicopter," um, but uh, the title has been changed, and also the story has mostly been removed from publication uh, because. Readers of Clark's World, the magazine in which it was published, uh, formed a transphobic hate mob and harassed Isabel Fall off the internet, out of the science fiction and fantasy writing community, into a hospital, and also possibly out of transition. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty factual description of what went down.
0: Yes. um, Like and I think it's important there. So this is like a thing that happened, um, like some months ago and has gotten like sort of a,
1: didn't it happen pre COVID?
0: It might have. The, the,
2: the the book, the, sorry, the story was published, uh, over a year ago, I believe. But the reason it's come up recently is that, um, it has been nominated for a Hugo, Mm -hmm. um, and uh it it the story was published like last year and then um because of the harassment uh fall withdrew the story from the internet um and then um within the last year she did republish it in a limited ebook edition um in order to qualify for an award um not technically in order to qualify for the Hugo but because it was published in this limited ebook edition that does make it qualify for the hugo right uh, and it's been nominated and so Mm -hmm. because of the hugo voting period coming around um there's been a lot more public discussion about this story and about uh what was done to fall um
0: and there was a there was a recent vox article about like how fall's life has like turned out as a uh or like what her life has been like in the in the time since the story was published um and there was some the the Vox article had some discussion around it because on the one hand it did bring light to like this terrible thing that happened to this person and also in some people's opinions did not like squarely place the blame on like the particular harassers among whom are like respected published authors published authors like N.K. Jemisin and Neon Yang I mention these names in part because on a recent episode of this show I recommended um Black Tides of Heaven one of uh, Neon Yang's books and like I just want to like fully walk that back I was not really familiar with this story when I recommended it um All of this had not happened when I first read Black Tides of Heaven. I was just rereading it recently, and that's why I recommended it. Uh, Yeah, like, I kind of enjoy that book, but I don't think it is worth, like, you know... I want to make clear I do not support Nian Yang in, like, any sort of way, and I do not think that you should purchase their books or,
3: like... like
1: if, If you're going to reconcile, like, oh, I do still like this thing from this person despite XYZ... You'd probably want it to mean more to you than yeah, this I, book does. it is it is a like,
0: book I enjoyed. I, I am not going to go to bat for yeah. that book or that author in any way after, like, sort of learning more <clears> about, <throat> like, the harassment that they directly participated in and are, like, steadfastly not taking any responsibility for now. Um, They yeah. have sort of... I'm sorry. They have sort of said... I'm sorry if feelings were hurt. I am sorry <laughs> if things that I said contributed in any way to hurt that may possibly have happened to, to this somebody. person. And, like, I have read Neon Yang's novels. They know what active and passive voice are. Mm-hmm. And they know yeah. that, like, the ways that they have, like, phrased this sort of, like, are doing everything to absolve themselves of responsibility and it is disgusting. You know, I I just want to say that, like, flat out. Like, the sorts of statements that Nian Yang has made um, about this have really put a sour taste in my mouth about that whole series. Um, and, like, I'm not going to be reading any more of their work in all likelihood. I It, it sucks.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and I- y- sorry, you go.
2: Oh, no, I just wanted to mention, as long as we are naming names, which I think it is important to do because... Because some of the people who participated in the harassment really are known names. Mm-hmm. Um, another person who was uh, important in this was Erin uh, Dembo, who is the um, the acting president of SF Canada. So this is like this is someone who holds like a like a a powerful, literally like holds a position in mm-hmm. science fiction, mm-hmm. um, and uh, she is a cis woman, and she wrote that she thought from the way the story was written. That it must be written by a straight man Um, So she quite literally And she said that she knew she was doing this in the Twitter thread She did the thing that uh, Robert Silverberg famously did In the 70s to um, Tiptree's work Where she read someone's work and analyzed the writing And was like oh I know the gender of this person From this writing This person has to be a man Um, Mm -hmm. Which is Just the most Disgusting cis bullshit I've ever heard in my life
0: yeah, the, there's another, like, aspect to this, too. Like, I mentioned Nian Yang, who is, like, a trans person. Like, there are a lot of cis people who got in on the harassment of this trans author. Um, and, like, yeah, like, one of the people here is, like, N.K. Jemisin, who I, I believe is a cis woman. Uh, yeah. Um, and, um, like, is a New York Times bestseller. Like, one of the most popular authors in the world right now. Um and, like, and, I I read Jemisin, the fifth season and enjoyed it, or part of it. I haven't finished it. But, yeah, like, fuck the, fuck the fifth season, <laughs> you
2: know? And I, I think something that's also very important to highlight when we're talking about N.K. Jemisin's role here is that she did not read the short story. Yes. She made it very clear mm. what, that she did not read the short story before saying, uh, I think this story is offensive in a way that, you know, supported a hate mob. Yes, um. yes.
0: And it sucks. It... Everything sucks. Um,
2: Do we want to talk at all about, like, why people think the story is so bad? Like, what it's actually about?
0: Yeah, please. I have not read the story, but
1: you have. so I,
0: would
3: I read to... it when it came out. Mm-hmm.
2: But mm-hmm. Yeah, I missed the chance to read it when it came out. Um, but I did uh, read it earlier today. Um on the internet archive, uh, because, which I, I felt a little weird about that because it is true that there is not currently a way to like legitimately get this story like from its author. Um, like, like I said, the, the ebook that came out earlier this year was like a limited release. Um, but the reason that it's not on the internet is not because she thinks it's a bad story or because she doesn't like want people to read it because she regrets it. The reason it's not on the internet is because she was shamed and harassed into retracting it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I feel like it's okay to read the story. I don't think that is like going against her wishes. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't think it's a perfect story. Uh, I think you can kind of tell in certain ways that it's a, a first the first Mm -hmm. story that uh, Mm -hmm. she has published. Um, But I do find it to be like a very compelling story about transition. Um, I think something that was really missed by a lot of the critics who read the way the story talks about um, being a woman and found that to be sort of artificial um, is that the story is about someone who transitioned away from being a woman. (laughs) And so like, When the narrator talks about womanhood in terms of, you know, what you might consider to be stereotypes um, in terms of like clothing and makeup and uh, kind of trying to please men. When I read that, I'm like, yeah, as a trans man, that's how I thought about womanhood. It was this like weird job that I had Mm -hmm. that I didn't really want to have, but that I felt like I had to do. Mm -hmm. And I am happier now that I don't feel like I need to do that job anymore. And I, you know, that's a complicated thing to apply to the narrator of this story because of the, um, the, the speculative fiction, the the science fiction novum of this story is that, um, in this, you know, dystopian future, uh, the technology to literally change someone's, like, internal experience of gender... Um, like, in their brain, in their mind, in, in like, their soul, has been invented. So Mm -hmm. it's not just a question of, like, oh, you can choose your gender in the sense of, like, you can search your soul and decide what gender you want to live in in the world, but it's literally, like, you could be a cis person and then say, well, I'd like to become a trans person and, like, get a medical treatment that would do that to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And the narrator of the story has done that in order to work in the military, as a pilot oh, okay. like this is it is mandatory as a as a helicopter pilot to get your gender changed to helicopter um okay yeah so it is like you can how do I want to put this i in no way think that harassing someone is a reasonable response to this story but i think being a little bit like oh wow i think that is a reasonable response because it is mm-hmm. a story that is purposefully playing with a really kind of fucked up idea, right? Like what if the U S military was actively using gender as a tool? Mm -hmm. Um, and even like on some level, I think a lot of what's going on in the story is that the character experiences gender euphoria via the act of committing Imperial violence. Mm -hmm. Um, which is obviously a really fucked up thing to think about. Um, but I think it's an interesting and like a meaningful thing to think about because, yeah. like, in the real world, committing violence is a gendered act, yeah. And also, soldiers do experience positive feelings when they commit imperial violence, like right. that, it, in in I would say <clears throat> potentially gendered ways. Like I. I don't want to, I'm not trying to say that only male soldiers like firing guns, obviously, but, like, (laughs) uh, I I don't think that the questions that the story is asking about gender, about the U.S. military, and about the ways that the U.S. military might deploy gender, um, are, like, unreasonable questions, you know? Mm. Um... And it's not saying, I think, that trans people, by transitioning, commit <laughs> imperial violence. Right,
0: right. Um, well, and it's just, like, it's weird because that is, like, a really interesting premise. And, like, I feel I feel very strongly that, like, science fiction and fantasy should be, like, places where authors can, like, engage with ideas and, like, Maybe sometimes they're uncomfortable ideas, and maybe sometimes you read a book and you're like, oh, or a short story, and you're like, oh, it didn't handle this, like, sort of controversial idea very well. But I think authors should be allowed to, like, broach difficult subject matter and not get harassed off the internet into a hospital and out of transition. I think that's a pretty reasonable ask. Are
1: you saying that people should be able to speculate through fiction that way. is what i am saying yes yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I think something that's worth mentioning uh is like the original title of the story is uh, taken from like a transphobic meme that i believe originated on 4chan and like mm-hmm. you know has been a part of like online transphobic harassment um like i sexually identify as an attack helicopter is like a way of making fun of people who have genders that you know the person using that phrase thinks are stupid. It's like, and- "Oh, your gender is like uh your gender is like butch dog. Well, that's just as reasonable as being a helicopter <laughs> um, and so that I think was one part of a lot of people claimed that they read the title of the story and could immediately tell from the title that it was a transphobic troll and that mm-hmm. they were like immediately emotionally harmed by reading the title, and that's why they you know. Took to Twitter to or took to the comments of the of the story to harass.
0: I remember when (sighs) I remember when the story came out, seeing that headline and thinking, I don't want to read that. That seems like it's going to be kind of difficult for me. Uh, And that, like, I remember reading the that story or the the title and being like, Yeah, like I don't think I am interested in reading it because I knew it was playing around with this sort of like transphobic meme. And that was sort of all I thought about it, you know, and
2: (laughs) yeah, like, I think it's very reasonable for someone to say, I don't really want to deal with someone who is engaging with a transphobic meme in earnest, Mm because really, like, clearly, the core idea of the story on some level is, okay, what if that ridiculous meme idea that is intended to mock trans people was true? What if that actually happened to someone? What would that mean?
1: And also, like, that phrase has been used for, like, 20 years or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it has been a long time. (laughs) Yes.
2: Like, one thing that I think was uh, really left out of a lot of the uh, discussion around this story that I think is important is that Fall is not the first person to take that meme and be like, uh, yeah, what if it was real, though? Or to say something like, yeah, my gender is attack helicopter. Fuck off. Or, like, the idea that you can take... Hateful speech And Mm -hmm. defang it by saying Yeah that is true Or like joking about whether it's true Is not like a new idea Trans people do that shit all the time
0: (laughs) You should listen to hot singles If you want to hear that happen (laughs) in real time Every week
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so like I don't want to argue That no one was in any way Like emotionally hurt That no one's feelings were hurt at all By seeing that title as the title of a story or that no one could have reasonably worried, oh, what if this story is written by a transphobic troll? What if this is written by someone who really believes that that title is, like, a, like a reasonable thing to say to another person or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that having that moment of emotional hurt in any way justifies, like, destroying a person's life. And I yeah. also do not believe that anyone was, like, seriously harmed like, no. reading a title of no. a story that hurts your feelings, and that's something that was really frustrating about the way that Neon Yang and some others talked about it, was they were like, oh, I'm so sorry that the way that people were processing their legitimate hurt had these unintended consequences, and it's like, no, you were not processing legitimate hurt because of this story. No. Like, being reminded of transphobia existing by reading a title <laughs> is not real harm. <laughs>
0: experiencing a moment of mild (sighs) discomfort is not like harm capital h harm it is experiencing a moment of mild discomfort you know like
2: yeah yeah um (sighs) there's also this whole thing which i don't really want to get into too much detail about but there is actually like a group of of real trolls like people who are trying to kind of, like, infiltrate the Hugos and, like, further a right-wing agenda, either by getting right-wing stories nominated and to win Hugos, or by getting stories that they think are, like, laughable, like, left-wing, or, like, um, you know, stories by trans people or by people of color nominated. So, like, there is, I think, a certain weird concern that, like, Maybe those people who call themselves, like, the sad puppies or the rabid puppies. I remember this. Maybe those oh. people are going
0: I was like, I, yeah. I remember some... this from 2018, and I was trying to call the name back to my I mind. I was
1: thinking of even further back than that, because I remember th- this being a thing, like, years and years ago. Back when mm-hmm. I used to listen to Brandon Sanderson's podcast, mm-hmm. which would have been, like, 2015 or before. Mm-hmm. That's been around a yeah,
3: while. Yeah, the
2: sad... sorry.
0: That's all. That's all. We were done.
2: <laughs> yeah, so they've been around for a while, and, like, there has been this sort of battleground over the Hugos, and um, so that is part of the context of why people saw you know, this title and were immediately like, oh, this is a troll. um, Because, like, yes, those trolls do exist. Um, But I think the idea that you could actually read the story and believe that it was by, like, a Nazi who is trying to infiltrate like, trans community is really laughable um like it it's not that it's it it, it's very clearly not that and um and, and the uh like yeah it's just really gross there were people claiming that because isabel falls biography was like you know she didn't really have a biography she didn't have publication history because she's a trans woman publishing for the first time. So she doesn't want mm-hmm. whatever online history she may have under a different name connected to this, right? Like, right. this is basic shit about how trans people live. Anyway, so her biography just said that she was born in 1988. And people were like, ah, 88, it's a Nazi dog whistle. Like, holy
0: oh shit. Oh my god. Okay, I remember, I remember you mentioning something about that, but I didn't make the, the 88 connection until just now. That is so fucked. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And and like people saying that because because it was, you know, um, I mean, anonymous is not the right word. I don't think we have any reason to believe that Isabel Fall is, you know, not her. Well, it is not the name she uses anymore because Mm -hmm. she has given up on it. However, I have no reason to believe that when she was publishing under that name, that it wasn't her like real name. You know, I don't think there's any reason to necessarily call it a pseudonym or a nom de plume. But it is true that it was a, a new name. And right. so people use that to mean, to suggest Like, oh, there's no history to this name So it must be a troll, which is Again, just like, that is That's transphobia Yes Yeah.
1: Um, what'd you? I didn't do anything, my phone <laughs> fell off the bed do, Would you like to tell the listeners What our setup is right now?
0: Yeah, sure, <laughs> I was just gonna cut this But I could tell the listeners
1: Yeah, explain
0: Um. We're... <laughs> We have a little bedside table sitting in front of us with our laptop and the mic on it. And then we have um in Nora's grandmother's be- bedroom or guest room. Um <laughs> we've got like the bed and we're sitting at the edge of the bed with on the on, foot of the bed. Yeah, at the foot of the bed recording onto this uh bedside table that we've pulled around to the foot of the bed. And it's a, a we're bit of a, a pair of headphones. We're sharing a pair of headphones because somebody forgot to bring her headphones with her to Texas. Uh, not naming names, um, just certain people I'm married to. Uh, Basically,
1: married to. just you. Hmm.
2: <laughs> Damn, those <laughs> are rookie numbers.
1: <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> um, I have a question. Yeah, do you want to talk about Brandon Sanderson? Maybe. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Let's do it. I'm ready to do that. Okay.
1: I think that um we got uh, you know what? We got some chapters.
3: We, we didn't have say they're had... not chapters. Uh,
1: I you know what? You didn't yell even once when we were listening I to did. the audio books? I did. I did. Well you yelled when Raythan came back. But yeah. you didn't you didn't say fuck, <laughs> fuck this guy, you didn't say fuck Rayadin, I hate him.
0: I got um, off pretty el- <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I got off pretty easy with a like light Rayoden chapter where very little happens this week.
1: Yeah. And then um, Big
0: Sereni. Big Sereni. And then.
1: Again, b- Little Horaithan.
0: Little Horaithan. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's
2: with. What is with the thing where the Raiden and Horaithan <laughs> chapters are short and the Sereni one is super long? Like, I don't.
0: I don't know. Um, it's so funny, dude, because so much of the Sereni chapter could be part of the, Hry- the Raiden chapter, but it's just yeah. not. <laughs> um, I guess I'll read this Raiden summary.
1: Read those three sentences for us. Yeah.
0: Raiden and Galadon ponder why the city guards vanish from the Elantrian city wall. They try to find a way to get onto the wall to place scouts there, but decide to put off that plan due to a new arrival in Elantras, and go to the courtyard as a welcoming committee. The new arrival is Sereni, who isn't happy to speak to Raiden after his deception. Raiden convinces her to give him a second chance and offers his hand, which he hesitantly accepts. So basically all that happens in this chapter is that Raiden and Galadon are like, hey, if we're worried about an invasion of Kai, um, we should have people posted on the walls so that if that happens, we can maybe like hide in like, you know, some catacombs or or, or something below Elantras,
1: The abandoned city outside.
3: Yes,
2: Yes. like
0: we need to, we will be able to hide our people and then yeah. Like, goes and meets with Sereni and we it kind of naturally segs into the Serini chapter.
1: Why do you keep saying segs? Because it's a word that
0: describes the thing that happens. What do you it's, mean? It's, you mean segway? Yeah.
1: Yeah, i just never heard you say seg before. Today.
0: <laughs> okay, anyway, do we have any discussion for Raiden? I really don't have anything here that is not also in the Serini
1: chapter.
2: Yeah, there's really no, like, content here.
1: Yeah.
0: It's
2: just the, literally the things that happen. Um,
1: there's nobody on the wall. That must mean, well, the, the most likely thing is that war is happening. What's actually happening is that the king was a cultist and dead. <laughs> yes. And also the wedding... <gasps> Raiden doesn't know his dad
0: is a cultist and dead yet. Right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> wow, yeah. I can't believe I mean, okay, no, never mind. I forgot for a second that he's hiding his identity and I was like, I can't believe Serenity didn't tell him that first thing. I Although, can't frankly believe Raiden
1: didn't tell her. <laughs>
2: <laughs> frankly, even though she doesn't know that he's Raiden, I feel like yeah, here's the like big basic news for what happened outside. The king has been killed. Or the king killed himself. Like You'd think... You'd think it would have come up. I guess she's just in the mindset that, like, they're in Elantris and they're never going to leave Elantris now, so the things that are happening outside the city are not things that Spirit needs to know about. But, um, that's stupid. Yep.
0: (sighs) Should we go on to the serene chapter?
2: Yeah. Uh Spirit escorts Sereni to New Elantris, which has been transformed into a village with clean streets and pleasant seeming Elantrians in a complete contrast with her perception of the rest of the city. Sereni is given a new wardrobe and accompanies Spirit and finds herself appraising Spirit as well. <laughs> Spirit and Serene tour the city, and Serene apologizes for providing him useless items as part of their bargain, and Spirit replies that he is a tyrant but means well, though she disputes that he is a tyrant based on her new perspective on New Elantris. After five minutes. Yes, five minutes. Sereni <laughs> <laughs> meets <clears throat> Tain, the sculptor also known as Andin, and sees the Hall of the Fallen. She sees mindless seons floating around and is suddenly struck with concern for Ash, who she hasn't seen since her transformation. Sereni asks who Spirit was, and he replies that he is the second son of the Lord of Ian Plantation. Spirit starts glowing and cries out in agony, then passes out in her arms, and she feels a great pressure coming from within him. Spirit awakes very shortly thereafter, however, and explains that Aeondor is trying to use him as a conduit, though she is skeptical. Spirit erases her doubts by drawing Aeons, then teaches her about Aeondor. Sereni spends a sleepless night, recalling her embarrassment and failures of the previous day. Ash locates Serene, saying that he has been searching for her for two days, and that he is unaffected by her transformation. Serene tells Ash how Spirit has changed New Elantris for the better, and Ash advises Sereni of events in Kai. Serena communicates with Aventeo through Ash and tells him not to do anything <coughs> drastic to endanger the relationship between Teod and Erelon, though Telri might make that a moot point if he takes power and allies with the Fjordal Empire.
0: A lot of stuff.
1: <sighs> Big chapter. Raiden refuses to tell her his name despite thinking very credibly that they're just going to be here forever together.
2: Yeah, and like...
0: <sighs> I hate him. I hate him. I hate him.
2: It doesn't make any goddamn sense at this point.
0: It, okay, I raised this question, and I don't mean to say uh, that this is definitely what is happening. Is Raiden gaslighting Serenity?
2: Uh, I think he's just lying to her, but I think he is kind of gaslighting the other people in New Elantris. Because like, he's not creating a situation where Serenity doubts her reality. But mm-hmm. he is creating a situation where the other people in Elantris doubt their own experiences of pain. The
0: the moment the moment that made me feel like that is less him lying about his identity and more him saying, um, You never trusted me to begin with, despite also having admitted that he lied to her, <laughs> which I just felt like Why would she have trusted you? I was so mad at him because he's like, well, you, he's so huffy about the fact that she never trusted him while also admitting to the fact that he betrayed her. And I just hate him. I hate him. He is a terrible, wretched man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's
1: no reason that he has to be this way. No, it is entirely
0: like his creation that he is like this. Um and also like yeah once again like brandon is like fully like this guy really is cool because serenia is like walking around and like wow i've never seen people so happy in my entire life and he doesn't have any dissenters it seems like even you know eventeo is a ver- is a well beloved king and he has dissenters um and just like everything's so clean and they're using all the resources <sighs> so well and Just, like, fawning over him. Oh, he's so tall and handsome.
1: He's tall enough for me. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And it's just... It sucks. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious.
1: It's just obnoxious because it's like, what are we doing? What what are we doing? We are very far into this book. Mm Mm-hmm. Main characters yeah. have not exchanged basic facts with each other, like who they are. We we hit seventy five percent
0: in the in this chapter.
1: It's like, Brandon, buddy, what what's happening? Yeah, and we we only have so much left, so it's it's gonna get better because we're I, done. But <laughs> it, since it,
0: it since it didn't happen mm-hmm. in this chapter, I assume that like. Raiden is going to tell her in the very last or second-to-last he, chapter. He's going to say
1: it at the very end. She's going to be like, somehow, I always knew. Yeah. <laughs> I thought... And not be upset that he lied for no reason for weeks. I
0: Yeah.
1: I thought this chapter, it would happen. He would tell her who he was.
0: And since that didn't happen, I'm now just assuming it is, like... It, yeah, it's not coming up until the very end of the book. And she will just magically not care. <laughs>
1: We're on uh, like 41 out of like 63. Yeah.
2: He so. he does like because she's in Elantris and he can't hide it from her anymore. He completely reveals to her all the stuff about how like Elantris is actually functioning now. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, there's like a sequence where he's like she, he's showing her around to Elantris, and just, like, over and over again, the point is hammered home that they are somehow making use of the trash she tried to give them, and, like, mm-hmm. you know, they're fertilizing fields, and they have a mirror made out of, like, the uh, uselessly the sh- thin steel sheets that she gave them, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all wearing the embarrassingly colored cloth, which, uh, that part, I'm just like, serini did you... Did you really think that they would forbear to use the cloth you gave them because it was brightly colored? <laughs> or, uh, like, orange
1: is so cringe. I will instead <laughs> sit in the mud. And,
2: like in general, in general, it feels like she is surprised that they're using this stuff when it's like... Why would they ask for these things if not to use them?
0: Well, and she... <laughs> she reflects on, oh, I'm so embarrassed that I was behaving so petty that I gave them all this, like, bullshit that was going to be difficult to use because I had this feud with Spirit. Meanwhile, Raiden is li- ha- was lying to her for weeks, is continuing to lie to her, Um, is like, like Raiden feels no remorse for the way that he's treating Serenity, and, like, is like, oh, I was being really childish. And, like, yeah, seemingly Raiden is totally, like, it's totally fine the way that he's just using her and manipulating her. It sucks.
1: Yeah. <sighs> he's the hero of this book. <laughs> no, he's not.
0: That's well,
1: Grayson, we all know. Grayson is it's, the it's hero. Fortin. And then second place is crown emoji, great and
2: crown emoji. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Cerini like concludes from like walking around New Elantris for like 10 minutes and seeing that people seem to be happy and that they're using the stuff she gave them immediately concludes. You are not a tyrant. Even though he literally says, Oh yeah, I am still a tyrant. Like I've got good intentions, but I'm a tyrant. He says (sighs) he's a tyrant with good intentions. He says that.
1: (laughs) Raiden's going to be in Far Cry 7. <laughs> um, and then there's Ash, who, by the way, doesn't, oh doesn't make it into the summary. Ash, I guess as a joke... Uh, Proposes being the first Sion to like adopt religious beliefs to to convert to
0: Shukora, yeah. specifically
1: to like as as like gratitude for like Ceredi being safe. It's like imagine if you were watching Star Wars and at some point C three PO is like, "Oh my, perhaps I should invest some of my some faith in this old doctrine." It's like. <laughs> That's just a guy. <laughs> he... They can have religion. They're well, just they're just people.
2: I, I mean, okay, I do understand why it would make sense that no Sion's follow Shukorath because mm-hmm. they are creations of Aeondor. Yes. Right. Like and and the thing that I think is wild is that the is that it, it has never like crossed Sereni's mind that there is a strange contradiction between like her dedication to her faith and the fact that she has like a creation of a pagan faith that she doesn't really believe has any real powers who, because that being is a creation of that pagan faith, doesn't believe in the same God as her following her around all the time. Well, it's like everybody in this book is walking around talking about how the Sions aren't people, but
0: also one of the Sions, like, is like I'm converting to a different religion I've considered the religion, like... <laughs> it's just, it's just
1: nonsense. It's,
0: <laughs> yeah. Ugh.
2: I would love to know, I would love to know, and we're not going to find out, which sucks. I would love to know what Ash's actual current beliefs are. I would assume, because Ash was created by an Elantrian, probably at some point long before Sereni was born, that Ash continues to believe in whatever it is that the Elantrians believed. So, like, Ash could tell us that might actually be very useful mm-hmm. to, like, Raiden and his research into Aeondor if Ash could communicate that to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen uh, no. because Ash isn't a person. No.
1: Nope. <laughs> but he is alive because the transformation is fake, and at some point, somebody's going to have to figure that out. Yeah,
0: that, that'll that be fun. Mm. Um, you know, a couple Cerini chapters from now, maybe the next one, but hopefully we get at least one more of, like, her believing that she is, like, actually an Elantrian. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm excited for when she starts going back to normal and they're like, what the fuck is happening?
3: Yeah. <laughs> um. I'm excited. I wonder,
2: I wonder if Raiden is going to believe that uh, he was able to affect it through his, like, researches into Aeondor.
0: I feel like the, there are two possibilities. One is that Raiden is going to think that he has somehow done it, and the other possibility is that Serenian and Raiden will get to talking and be like, oh, Raithen must have poisoned me.
1: And like you're like, wait, how did they make that jump? Of like- <laughs> 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 but only yeah. somebody... Oh, you know, this would require such an, an, an incredible alchemical skill to be able to mimic... The only alchemist I've ever heard of who could do such a thing is, is Fortin. Fortin. <laughs> <laughs> he's a subject of fraud, you see. You know? <laughs> <laughs> only the Hrovens, uh only Imperial <laughs> stormtroopers are so precise. <laughs> oh, the
0: this was not something. It's like a minor thing. The um, uh, Serenian um, Raiden are talking, and Raiden is like, "Oh, well, if you keep it talking so pessimistically, I'll, uh, you know, lock you up in a room with Galen on for an hour, and you'll know what true cynicism is." And sereni's like. A cynical doula? I've never <laughs> heard of such a thing. And it's like... It's really weird. Great, Serenity. Thanks for wheeling out the racism for a minute. You always got <laughs> our that... back, champ.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what a weird yeah. idea. Yeah. I don't
0: know. That, like, people from a certain culture are physically incapable of being cynical.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, Something else that Serenity does that I think is just total bullshit um, is that she... So, when she's talking to Ash, she, like, wants Ash to, like, communicate with the outside world for her. Uh, but she she realizes, oh, Spirit has gone to all this trouble to make sure New Elantris is secret. Okay, I'm not going to betray his secret. So, I don't want Ash to tell the other people I know in Kai that, you know, basically that things are kind of okay in Elantris. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all right, she makes that decision, like... I think it's a little ridiculous for her to decide to keep that secret when she has no idea why he's keeping it and, like, she shouldn't trust him. But, but whatever. Whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to kind of accept that. Um, But then when she talks to her father, she basically spills the beans. Mm -hmm. She's like, she's like, uh, you know, he says that, like, Elantris is terrible. If my reports are true, then no one should be thrown into that pit. And she says, it's not as bad as you think, father. I can't explain, but things are more hopeful than anticipated. And it's like, I don't think... Like, yes, you didn't give the details of, like, there's a person here who is organizing society, and so they are, like, cleaning things and growing food. But the idea of, like, things are less bad in Elantris than you think is, like, a very obvious clue <laughs> to
3: mm-hmm. that. Yeah.
2: I, I could... maybe Maybe she's just relying on the fact that, like, her father is way over the ocean... and like maybe she wouldn't give such an obvious hint to like keen or someone like that but Mm. like i don't know it's if she wants to keep up the appearance that things suck in elantris she probably shouldn't have told her father that actually things are fine
0: yeah (laughs) um what else oh there's also um and that we should talk more about the phone call with her father but um just one last Raiden thing I was just thinking about it was just that, like she's like he he says he's the son of like the owner of the Ian e. plantation, but um he he's such a good statesman and he's got all these leadership qualities. I don't know if I believe this story, <laughs> um, but then
1: again, I didn't memorize all the minor novels. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's so. It's, it's such so a needless BS, layer, but... layer of tension, quote-unquote tension. Yeah. It's, it's not really tension so much as it, it is like cobwebs. Mm-hmm. Like or, Cobwebs don't really restrict your movement, I guess, unless you're living in Middle Earth. But, like, <laughs> you know,
2: it's just it, it, It's goon. like a... a... What? Nora, it's... I'm sorry, I don't understand your metaphor. It's, it's just like... Goo in a, in
1: a sticky goo that's just keeping you from walking through the story. I
2: don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's like it is something that uh, provides like a slight resistance to the p- progress of the plot, but like yeah, yes. you know, a very goo. slight one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you mean like like mud? Are you thinking about literally like difficult terrain in D anD D?
1: Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs>
2: Um, another thing about Raiden that annoyed me in this chapter, um, is that, uh, uh, he, he, he takes Serenity to this, like, chapel, um, which I'm a little, I, I had a little bit of a hard time following. Is this supposed to be that, like, secret building that they found that leads to the pool? Is he I think this there? is.
0: I think this chapel is, like, one of the first buildings they reclaimed, because I think this is the okay. one that, like, that guy was scrubbing the shit off the walls.
2: Oh, the, the mold. I guess you're right. Yes, the, the mold. Yes. The goo yes. mold. Okay. <laughs>
0: the
3: goo mold.
2: <laughs> okay, so that's what it is. All right, so he's not taking her to, like, the secret Elantrian chapel. No, however, no. Um, however, uh, she looks around, and she's immediately like, oh, it's a chapel. I recognize these, like, Karathi scenes. And he's like, What? I didn't know that. How did you know that? And it's like, (laughs) really? Like, because from the way she's talking about it, it sounds like these are basically the Karathi equivalent of, like, there's a cross on the wall and there's, like, a Madonna and child and, like, (laughs) just, like, the most, yeah, like, the most basic iconography of this religion that, like, anyone would recognize. Right. And he just doesn't notice it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And she asks him And he's like well I just didn't pay attention in class About that Like did you also Never go to church
2: Raiden And she's not Like I mean Serenity does have this Like devotion to Shukorath but again as we've Talked about many times before It's weird because she doesn't seem to have like a theological Or a faithful devotion to it It really does seem to be purely cultural For her and so I don't think we're Meant to believe that She's recognizing these scenes because she knows more about, like, the intricacies of the tales in the Dokorath Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know? like. Well, and, like,
0: I also just think that, like, you don't have to pay attention in school. I think most people living in the U.S. who are not Christian, if you showed them Jesus on the cross, would be like, that's Jesus, you know, and would probably recognize (laughs) a nativity scene. I
1: feel like this is, like... It's not Jesus. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's Moses. I feel like you see a mural of someone parting the sea with a staff. You're like, oh, yeah, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Like, I I feel like it's very obvious. Yeah. But, yeah. People know about the religions in the areas they grow up in because religion is like kind of a big deal. Yeah. Usually.
2: Yeah. Is it just more of, like, this book having religious world building as, like, a central element and being really bad at religious world building?
1: <laughs> it's it's all there in theory, but we haven't seen it. <laughs> like, I feel like if, if this was a book that maybe Brandon wrote a little later and it was, like, twice as long, then we would, like, know some parables or we would know some saints... Or mm-hmm. some kind of, like, iconography
2: here. Yeah, because but... yeah, that's also true. Serena just says, oh, I recognize this. All, this. all these images are right out of the Dokorath. But we don't know what that means. Like, I've just been talking as though there are, like, Bible stories in the Dokorath. But I don't actually know what right. the Dokorath is. Yeah. Like, does yeah. it have stories in it? Maybe not. Maybe it's all just, like, moral precepts. Yeah. Um in which case I don't know how you would depict that visually. It's but just, but is his Vivek
1: <laughs> in a field? <laughs>
2: <laughs> My point is yeah, we have no idea what's in the Dokorath, we have no idea what's actually pictured in this chapel. We just know that those things are the same and that Sereni instantly recognizes them.
3: Yes.
0: Um Should we talk about the phone call with Evento? Um Yeah,
2: all right.
0: Uh, um this feels like the closest the book has gotten in a minute to like actual dramatic tension, you know, like once again, like it's the same sort of thing as like, um, the Hraithan chapter a while back that I was so excited about of like, oh, you've put a timer, you know, like,
3: mm-hmm.
0: like, <clears throat> like the tensions are climbing and Sereni has like a clear goal of like, I have to stop Tellery from converting the country to Shudirith and like, making this like a Fjordel vassal state and I have like only a few days to do this you know and there are like consequences to not doing this both for herself and for the people around her It it's it's drama like you put drama in the book
2: <laughs> yeah wild I will say it all rests on this sort of weird uh, passion that Serini has for Erlon that I think is strange <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> Eventeo like, also thinks it's strange
2: <laughs> Yeah because you know Eventio clearly he's heard about what Has happened to Sereni and he wants to Send men To Elantris to break her out of there And bring her home and basically Fuck the alliance with Eralon, they're obviously gonna fall uh, To Fjordal and we need to prepare For a possible invasion and I don't want My daughter locked up in like Hell City mm-hmm. Um which is, all seems like a pretty reasonable reaction on his part. Um Uh, and Serenia is like, No, we can't do that. We can't give up on Eralon. I'm gonna stay here and like fight to save Eralon from uh, you know, from Telri and from Hraython. And uh her reason for doing that is that she loves Eralone. She loves the people of Errolone because she is their princess.
3: Mm-hmm. <sighs>
0: And she's and, not their uh, princess anymore, but you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, like, I don't really think I've seen her love the people of Erelon. Like, I don't know. She's, I think she is, like, a kind person who cares about other people in general. I think we've seen that in the way that she tried to care about the people of Elantris and stuff like that. So I could, I could understand her being like, Father, you can't just accept that our ally is going to, like, be invaded and conquered. We actually have to do something about that. We can't just selfishly retreat but she's not making any kind of general moral argument she is saying i love these people um and it's it's weird i mean it feels very very like this is sereni's version of like this is what a good king is like this is what a yes. good princess is she loves the people of the land
0: and like she loves um her un- her like seven old uncles and she loves <laughs> like her cousins um and it- and she has reflected like oh, I feel like I fit in in Aralon better. I f- feel like I have friends here in a way that I didn't in Teod. But that didn't translate in my head to, like, I have a noble duty as the princess to save this land. Like, I guess I understand that leap, but it was not how I thought her character... I, did not, I didn't think that's where her character was at until she just decided that's where she's at in this chapter. And I was like, okay, you know... Yeah. Um.
2: And also, I think it's really laughable that uh, Eventeo agrees to this. Like, she's all like, father, you raised me to be independent. You can't take that choice away from me now. But, like, she's claiming that from inside Elantris, which, like, is a, like, she cannot get out into the city to do her politicking. And, like, her plan is Mm -hmm. to do it all through Ash. Um, but if I were a Vento, I would be like, that's not going to work. You can't, like, run a city through a Sejon. You're in, a, like, a... Like, she is in a really bad political position right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, there is no reason to think that, like, Ash's sort of miraculous uh, salvation from the madness that befalls Sejons when their masters are taken by the... The Rayod The she- um, Sheon. Shayo, Jesus Christ, it's I'm never going to remember that You're fine <laughs> Anyway, my point is, uh, I don't feel like if I were a Venteo That I would trust that Ash is going to remain available as a mm-hmm. communication mm-hmm. hub Because, like, you know, what if this is just how it works? Like, it takes the Sam's a couple of days Like, do they know for sure that that's not how it works? <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's weird Um, It's just weird Uh, Should we move on to Hraithan? Yeah, sure.
2: I'm ready.
1: Chapter 42. Hraithan regains control over the Dorethi Chapel using newfound confidence to assert his authority over Dilaw. Dilaw still asserts his hatred for Elantris despite Hraithan's insistence that the Elantris don't serve any more purpose in their plans. Hraithan feels confident that Aralon will be taken without a bloody revolution and turns his thoughts to Teod.
3: I
0: love Grayson. First yes. of all, mm-hmm. I love the uh this chapter starts with Grayson was in control. He it was back s- in control. He was back in control. My boy is back.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the next sentence is also great. Like a hero from the old swordish epics, he had descended to the underworld physically, mentally, and spiritually and returned a stronger man.
1: I love him. I love him so much. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He um, is a hero.
1: He is. He has chastised Delof back into his... And put him back in his place. Mm-hmm. Um, made him release his odives. Here's the thing that I know...
0: Here's the thing that I know about Brandon Sanderson books, and we've seen it a couple times in this book. Um, so you get, like, in the very, for, in the very beginning of the book, Serene is like, Ah, you know, I'm gonna get out of Teod. I was feeling really stuck at home. I'm gonna... Go have, get married to this guy I like. It's going to be good. Um, Hopefully. I'm
1: uh, nervous about it. I'm
0: nervous about it. But everything is looking up in my life. And she arrives in Errolon and is like immediately laid low. Like the moment she thinks about how good her life is, everything falls apart. And like Raiden is like, yeah, new Elantris is going along really well. We're getting more people. We're getting everything cleaned up. People are not in pain as much. And the moment he's thinking about all this stuff. Serini throws a wrench in his plans and he's immediately laid low every time there is a chapter in a Brandon Sanderson book where a character is thinking about how good they have it They're about to get fucking destroyed in the next chapter <laughs> And I don't know what's gonna happen to her, Nathan. No idea, but he is huh. way too confident in himself right now
2: <laughs> and I, think... I mean, I I've got a theory. I think Tellery is gonna betray him. Oh, there it is. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah
2: uh, and I think is. that's going to rule, is the thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it <laughs> like, is. <laughs> like, I love seeing Hraithan ascendant, you know? Uh, Hraithan, like, standing victoriously on top of a mountaintop or whatever. Like, <laughs> that rules. That's fun. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think it will also be great to see Hraithan on the back foot and be like, oh, no, this, this is treacherous duke. What has he done to me?
0: This is the thing, is that, like, sort of the cycles that these characters move in in, in all of these books, I and mean, we've seen it in this book, is that, like, when you think you're on top of the world, you're about to like take a massive L. And when you're just like at your worst, when you're just at the lowest of the low, you're depressed and you're sad. You're about to make like a huge comeback. And we've we've seen Horathan, like go through that like so quickly. Like he thought he had everything in hand, and then Delof like messes up like his belief in God, and then he like comes back from Elantris and is like, I've t- I've won. I win.
1: I'm but, like, Love <laughs> didn't intentionally, like, ruin Hraithan's faith. Yes. He just, like, accidentally hacked Hraithan. Yeah. <laughs> by yeah. being, like, passionate and virile in a way that made Hraithan, like, uncomfortable. But I think, like, the reason that I, like, I love
0: Hraithan so much is just that, like, he is, like... Just going through this cycle in such rapid succession, and every time he does, he's like, Hraithen <laughs> was back in control, Hraythin like the heroes hot. of the epics.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he Hraythin's personal confidence in himself. Is so important to him, <laughs> and so important to these chapters,
0: because he's fun when he has no confidence in himself, and he's fun when he has all the confidence in the when world. He's King Shit of Fuck Mountain, <laughs> and there is no in between for him.
1: He's yeah, always in I... motion, either ascending or on like the roller coaster going down. <laughs>
2: <sighs> Brandon's favorite tarot card is the Wheel of Fortune.
1: I thought it would be The Wheel of Time If you would like to try out for our new Open slot on this podcast Talking about Brandon Sanderson books Now that Autumn has turned in her resignation (laughs) We do have an email We could take uh, questions when we get to the end of this book Yeah we should do that If you have
0: questions or thoughts About like Feel free to expertaudiopodcast at gmail.com. Maybe save them till we get closer to the end of the book, but Link, you can start sending them in now,
1: sure. I mean, we're on 42, <laughs> so we've got 20 chapters left?
0: Put launchers in the subject line so that I can find it easily when we get to the end. We've got seven more weeks. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, also presumably don't put like spoilers in like the subject Or like the first line of the yeah. email Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I know on Gundam they'll just say Like just fill it with like you know Like random characters just so it doesn't like Pop up on my phone You know um, Elantra's question What did you think when Raiden Killed uh, Wern Or whatever like don't do that
1: <laughs> When Raiden drew dick butt <laughs> In the air And it caused like a <laughs> nuclear explosion <laughs> Um. But yeah, in just like a little cool breeze at the end of this kind of... I love him so much. Swampy mess. <laughs> the gooey mess, please. It's a Stick gooey the mess. Metaphor. <laughs> it's gooey. It's so gooey. <laughs> Brandon Sanderson's gooey prose.
2: <laughs> I wish his prose were gooey. That would mean it was like the prose itself was in some way you know as you made yeah. it clear arresting our movement that's what goo is
1: okay, okay so his he has a, a gooey story structure he is gooey plotting
2: but his prose is like a, a smooth tiled just a, surface
1: just a glass of water so his his a, a glass of goo it's like a clear window it's like glass it's like a glass of goo because
2: we can see clearly through the language,
1: yes, to, to the, the plot
2: structure. But the plot structure is like mud. Yeah, both both in that it is it is moving slowly, and it's unpleasant to look at.
1: It's 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 like the chocolate river in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory.
2: Sure. <laughs>
1: um. Hey, Mark. Yes. Where can people find you online?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Char Asnablunt and uh, you can find my other podcast Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements uh, which is a Moby Dick podcast at com slash whale
0: Autumn You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee You can find all my other podcasts at io. Um we will be recording a hot singles in the very near future. If people are not familiar with that, it is a music podcast where we talk about, um, two or three albums every week. And just, you know, I think it's a really good time. Um, if you want to talk about Elantris or this podcast in general, there is, I don't talk about this enough. If you go to the abnormal mapping discord, there is a channel called export chat where you can discuss, you know, the podcast episode, um, and we love people talking about it. Uh, I, I mention it mostly because, for a different podcast, I had missed some discussion recently because it was happening at a different channel that I didn't notice. So I was just, just so everybody's clear, export Chad. That's where you, it is. I will definitely see it and actually reply to you.
1: <laughs> you can find me on Twitter yeah. at neither nor. You can find stuff I do at norablake.online. You can find, uh, I used to do Let's Plays on export. Uh, video. I'd like to get back to that But uh, it's kind of hard sometimes
0: You were sick and then we were traveling yeah, so, so
1: it's fine um, I was just grinding an Ultima 1 For the Patreon exclusive LP While I was sick <laughs> Listening to podcasts um, I think that's it You should listen to my Yu-Gi-Oh podcast Attention Duelists It's good Attention Duelists, yeah, my good. hair is telling you to listen to that podcast That's
0: right <laughs>
2: I listened to it in the bath the other day. Great experience.
0: <laughs> if you want to know more about butch dogs.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um thank you uh, thanks for listening and as always thanks Brandon. Thanks Brandon.
2: Thanks Brandon. <laughs>